Hey everybody, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm Jay, and today I'm really excited because we are live and in person with a dear, dear friend of mine, Liz Diddy. Hey Jay. How are you? I'm good. Man, thanks for being here. Um, Liz and I have known each other for several years. We were uh, we served together at uh, a church that I was on staff at for a few years, and um, Liz is still here serving in a variety of capacities, and uh, Liz does all sorts of things. She's a spiritual director, she's an author, she's a speaker, she's a teacher, a communicator, and she's a wonderful friend. Thanks for being a wonderful friend. <laughs> yeah. And this is not our first podcast we've this done together. This is not our first podcast. We used to do a podcast together at the church where we served together, and um, that was a lot of fun. So this feels like old times again. Totally. Except it's way more pro. We have mics now. I know. Uh, the microphone game has gone up significantly <laughs> around here. We don't mess around at the Regeneration podcast. No, we kind of do. <laughs> These are sort of cheap mics. Anyways, you know, Liz, instead of me sort of telling your story, um, maybe you can share some of your story. Like I said, you, you serve in a variety of capacities, not just here in the local church, but for the church at large. And Um, We'll talk more about this in a moment, but uh, your first book is coming out very soon, and um, we'll get into a lot of that in this discussion, but you're also a spiritual director. Um, You're a regular communicator and teacher, uh, both here and um, around uh, the country. And so before we get into all of that, tell us how you got here. Tell us a bit of your story and um, just your your background growing up, because it's a fascinating story. Um, Tell us some of that story and how you got to the place you're at now, where you're giving so much of your life and your energy to helping move the local church and young Christians, Christians of all ages, really, um, forward in their experience of God in their lives. So, um, So you know my story, Jay, but I have every reason to actually hate the church. Um, In fact, um, both my mom and my sister uh, hate God because of the church. Um, And that is still just really hard for me. But I love the church, um, mostly because I love God and I love his people. But I grew up in a really spiritually broken environment, um, a fundamentalist church um, that was very devout um, and really functioned actually more like a Christian cult um, with one man mostly in charge and a board of elders. um, My dad was actually one of them who was very controlling over the people who gathered together. And, you know, to spare some of the salacious details, it was just very spiritually damaging for a lot of the people who were involved, including my own family. And the image that they were given of who God was and who they had, who God had entrusted with his authority and how those people wielded God's authority over them really broke their imagination for who the real God really is and how wonderful that he is. Um, I somehow um, came out of this when I was in college. I went away. And I had a spiritual breakdown, um, which was the greatest gift of my life. And I realized that God had been present with me from a very young age, but not the way that I thought. And all of the, the study and the memorization and all of that, obeying the rules, 
there were a lot of rules. Um, actually, women were silent, um, completely silent in every gathering of the church, and we all had to wear um, veils and head coverings over our heads. Um, it was a hyper-submission um, culture. And um, and I never felt like I quite fit in, um, but I was a rule follower, and so I followed the rules until I went to college and I started to read and study on my own. And I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so in love with books and so in love with words, and you and I share that love. Um, and that's because books really brought me home. They opened up a world of ideas that I hadn't been exposed to in the circle that I'd been in before. And I realized that actually the God that I thought I knew um, just didn't exist. Um, And a lot of the scripture that I thought I knew had really been twisted in a way that was almost unrecognizable. Yeah. And... um, and again, this, like, it broke my heart and it sent me spinning, but it also sent me on a journey um, to actually figure out who God is. And so I, I left the church that I had been raised in and that my family was still participating in at the time. And I ended up actually at Menlo Park, um, if for any Bay Area um, listeners, I was at Menlo Church right when John Ortberg started leading there and um, was introduced to Dallas Willard and N.T. Wright and and John Ortberg and a whole lot of other really helpful voices when it comes to not only understanding who God is in the scriptures, but understanding what God's like um, and how he wants to... um, what spiritual maturity even looks like, what the Christian life looks like, and how it's so much less about the rules and perfection and and so much more about living life with God and um, and receiving his love and sharing it with others. And so since then, uh, I think uh, I've been on a journey to continue to get to know God, um, but also to, to help others um, broaden their understanding of him and also to to take you know not everyone has such an extreme story but a lot of us have um, parts of our faith that don't make sense or feel broken or were maybe misrepresented by well-meaning people and taking those doubts and questions that are incredibly valid um, and and actually wrestling through them and taking them to God and not just assuming that because someone said they were speaking for God that they actually were. Um, being able to peel that back and and actually get into the depths of, of who God is and what he has to say to us. Yeah. Describe a little bit the spiritual breakdown you had in college. I think when you say that, there are a lot of people listening um, and this is certainly true for me too, where, you know, a light bulb goes off and we say, oh, I've, I think I've had that too. I think that's how I would describe it. Um, and I guess my question is more so rather than just describing the spiritual breakdown, I think that the, the more imp- important question maybe is what was it that compelled you to take your doubts and frustrations and all of that to God, you know, rather than what many of us do when we have those spiritual breakdowns, and this was true in my life, where rather than taking it to God, because it breaks down, we just assume there is no God, or at least the God we've been told is there. He doesn't exist, and it must be some other you know, deity or presence or energy floating out there in the ether. 
um, and we try go, and to go and search in those places. What was it that for you in your spiritual breakdown, how and why did you make the decision to take it to God? You yeah. know, um, talk about that. Well, I tell the story in the introduction to my book, um, God's Many Voices. And there was this strange echo in that um, when I was really young, like probably around 12, like a preteen, I um, had a conversation with my dad and he asked me, um, are you a Christian? And I could not believe that he had asked me that question because um, I was like superstar Christian. I was about <laughs> as Christian as like an eleven-year-old could be. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I I um, I just did everything that was asked of me and then some, and um, and I had asked Jesus into my heart probably five hundred times at that point. So, um, so what on earth could he even be asking me about? Like, why would you even have to ask that question? And um, and I was I was wrestling with that one evening, um, and I it was the first time I've heard God's voice, and or that I can remember hearing it, and I just heard Him say, "You don't know me." And I remembered that story where um, Jesus said, um, many will come to me in the last days and they'll say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. And so then I became paranoid, like I'm one of those people who thinks I know Jesus, but he doesn't know me and I'm going to hell. Um, And so I asked him into my heart again, tried to tie up all my loose ends and kept going. Well, uh, when I got to college, um, I checked into a very conservative college, um, and uh, there was a student work assistant program where you got a job on campus and it lowered your tuition. So I signed up for that, and I got my job assignment, and I was assigned to be the librarian's assistant, (laughs) which like every freshman got like kitchen scrubbing pots and pans and whatever. And somehow I like scored this sweet gig as the librarian's assistant. So I spent a lot of time in the library and this library was super old and musty and it was actually in the basement of an old monastery. And um, it was, yeah, dark and everything that you would imagine like um, a magical <laughs> library to be. And um, and so I spent a bunch of time not just doing my homework, but pulling books off of the shelves and just reading and studying and, um, and learning. And all of a sudden I realized that, um, you know, the 1 Corinthians 11 – it always struck me as a little bit odd that we were the only Christians who wore veils all the time. Um, but we were told that, you know, a lot of Christians, you know, they're kind of like nominal Christians. They yeah. say they're Christians, but they don't really do what the Bible says. We do what it says. And right. 1 Corinthians 11 says you cover your head. So we cover our heads because we love God and we take the Bible seriously. Yeah. Um, then I started actually reading commentaries Um, and different thinkers around that passage. And I started to realize there's many more than one ways to understand that that passage. And then I started reading about end times, and I just started getting very curious about a lot of the things that I had been taught. 
And I realized that I was not the only Christian, that I was not actually doing the Bible better than everybody else. And that's that's when the breakdown um, started to break down. But in that moment, I heard this beautiful echo, like the same voice that had come to me when I was 12, um, saying, you don't know me. And I realized that Jesus hadn't been trying to disown me when I was a child, that it was actually this beautiful hint um, that I thought I knew him. I thought I had done everything that I needed to do to please him, and I just didn't know him at all. And so when those words came back to me, it was just much more of an invitation to actually get to know him. Um, and I didn't, I didn't doubt that there was, you know, um, some other god or something like that. I just knew, I just knew that I didn't know who he was, and I then had this just ingrained sense of betrayal and mistrust of authority and, um, and just mistrust of the church. And so it took me a long time to find a place where I felt safe, um, and where I felt like. Um, People were actually inviting me to to look at God and get to know God instead of to follow them, and um, and that I think now is like still my litmus test for Christian community is just finding people to surround myself that um, that ask me good questions and help me see myself and just point me towards God um, instead of demanding loyalty to a brand or to them or to the way that they think being Christian looks like. I don't want to get too much into the mechanics of it, but I um, assume a lot of people are probably asking this question as a part of your narrative. When you heard that echo that, you know, God speaking to you, what was that like? Or was it like an audible voice and it sounded like Morgan Freeman? And he, yes. You know? <laughs> yes. He I like, can confirm Liz, that Morgan Freeman Liz. is the voice of God. Like <laughs> God's many voices me. has a whole chapter on Morgan Freeman. <laughs> That's one of them. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? And was it different, you know, when you were 12 and when you were in college? What what was it? Because the reason I think it's important for your story and for the story of so many people, <clears throat> the question beneath the question is, how do I know that that's God and not my own neurology or emotional energy or, you know what I mean? Um, what was it that made it distinct from all the voices we hear in our heads? There's like that wonderful Pixar movie Inside Out, right? Mm -hmm. It's like so great. How do I know it's not one of those characters in my head? Like what made you, what was the clarifying sort of thing about that voice? Yeah, so um, I don't think it was audible. In some ways it's actually hard to tell the mechanics of it. It's so clear that it's like, did I hear that? Did it come in through my ears or did it come in like directly to my neurology? Um, I, I don't think anyone else heard it. But there is, there are many voices that are in our minds, and um, the question of which one is God's is, um, you know, that that's one of the big ones. How do we recognize it? And the word for listen in Hebrew is shema, and um, part of that is not just to hear, um, but it's also to recognize, um, to to hear and know whose voice it is, and also to respond to it. 
I knew instantly. I mean, I, I, I knew that um, it was different than any voice that had ever been part of my internal narration. Um, the cast of of um, Inside Out is like very chatty. I have, <laughs> I have a, a like a constant dialogue. I think going in my mind and. Um, there's a whole lot of folks in there. Um, and there are people from my past whose voices are still stuck in there. And there are um, there are other voices that have managed to, to wedge their way in. This voice was entirely different. And um, the word for glory um, in the scriptures, you probably know, has two associations. And that is light and weight, um, just like brightness and, and weight. And... I find that um, in recognizing God's voice, it gets easier over time. And the more the more that I hear him, the more easy um, and readily that I, I can say something and feel with confidence, yeah. that's God. Yeah. Um, but in, in the first times that God spoke to me, it was just truly a gift. I was not a skilled recognizer or skilled um, discerner of spiritual reality. It just was so clearly him and couldn't have been anyone but him because of the weight, mm. um, because of just a certain element of the words. Not, you know, the phrase was not something that I I had phrased myself. It wasn't a direct quoting or echo of scripture. Um, it, it, it was God's words. Um, Dallas Willard, who I know has been so influential in your life, his work, says he he has so much great stuff to say about what you just said, this whole, um, the practice of, or honing the craft of learning to listen and recognize, you know, the voice of God speaking. And simultaneously, that there are those moments where it is an, an undeniable sort of reality, you know. It's almost like the difference between, sometimes I hear songs in my head that are, just on the radio. I don't listen to the radio, but you know what I mean, right? Like these songs that are on repeat just everywhere because they're really popular and Mm -hmm. then you hear it. And uh, that's what it reminds me of in some ways when you say like, I don't know if it was audible. So if I just right now say Michael Jackson's Thriller, for those of us who were, you know, in our heyday back then, you can hear it in your head and maybe it's not playing sonically in the room, but you hear it. You know? Or like any Ed Sheeran song ever written. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. You know, you hear it. And, um, and then at the same time, there are those moments where maybe the metaphor would be that you hear a song so clearly, but it's like a song you've never heard before, mm. but you hear it. Right. And it's undeniable in that way. Um, and so along those lines, I love the um, I love the tagline of your book, and I want to talk more about you know some of the themes in your book. And I'm holding it right now, and it's this lovely, beautiful cover that is like so epic. It makes me want to stand wherever this photo was taken and look up at the stars. It's so beautiful. Where was this photo taken? Do you know? I don't know. The designer at the publisher um, designed the cover, which I love. Yeah. Um, But for those of you who can't see it, you know, on the podcast and all, (laughs) um, it's sort of a a rocky ledge at the bottom and then just this very expansive night sky above. Yeah. 
And one of the things I love about the cover, and I don't know if you intended to communicate this, but standing beneath the stars, um, you simultaneously feel so small, but you also feel so surrounded and covered, you know, immersed in the bigness. Um, and that's how it makes me feel. But what I was going to say is the tagline of the book, which is on the cover, is learning to listen and expectant to hear. Maybe talk to me about the dance between those two and how they interplay and what you mean by that tagline, learning to listen, expectant to hear. What are you hoping to help people understand and embrace? How are you hoping to, to equip people um, through the book? Yeah. Well, actually, the the stars on the cover are really intentional for that um, because a group of scientists discovered a couple of years ago that the stars actually make noise, like the fluctuations and the vibrations of stars um, would create something like music, except because of the vacuum of space, we can't hear it. So actually, all of these gorgeous stars above us in the sky are actually singing over us, and we just can't hear them. But once the um, the scientists sort of noticed these fluctuations and thought, I wonder if that would create something like music, they began to develop these tools to actually be able to listen and simulate what the sound would sound like. And so now um, they have like a rough idea of potentially what it would sound like um, to hear a star. Wow. And so the the thing is that we would have never um, heard that or seen that or thought that if we didn't know that the, um, that the stars were speaking to us. We would have never developed those tools to stop and listen. And so learning to listen, expectant to hear, is um, the idea that... Um, if we are expecting God to speak to us, if we believe that he is who he says he is, that he is actively indwelling the story of humankind and, and earth, um, and that he is still speaking to us today, then we can learn to listen to him. We can develop tools. We can... Um, pay attention and when we do we can we can get a rough idea of some of the things that he might be saying to us yeah what without giving away your book what are some of those tools just kind of synopsize for us what are those tools those things we can sharpen in our lives or begin to practice um that teach us to listen yeah so um so the, the book is actually structured in those two parts, learning to listen and expectant to hear. So in the learning to listen part, uh, I talk a lot about noticing and what it means to slow down and to notice. Um, the recognition part and what it means to recognize God's voice. And then also um, the response that God is looking for from us. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just the way that we even approach God's voice. I think some of us are really looking for divine approval of what we're doing in our life, or we want to make the best decisions, or we have great motivation and we really want to do what God wants us to do, um, but we'd like him to tell us what that is exactly. And um, the truth is that uh, God's voice, he's speaking to us much more like you and I are talking to each other right now. Like, I'm not telling you to do something. I'm not, you know... Um, 
giving you wisdom for your life or whatever. Um, I, I just want to talk to you because yeah. we're friends and talking is how we get to know each other. Talking is how we build relationship. And we've said, you know, I think even back in the nineties, people said, you know, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Sure. Um, but how can it be a relationship where nobody's talking to each other? Right. Um, we have to be talking to God and also expecting to hear him, him talk to us. Um, and then the last part um, is about just expecting to hear his voice. And a lot of that is just places where we can look for it. Because I think um, some of us feel like, uh, I, I don't hear God's voice. Yeah. Like that's just for really spiritual people or, um, or like everyone seems around me seems to be saying it. Um, so like, I feel like a faker or a phony if I haven't actually had that experience. Um, actually I think I remember you talking about this in youth group where there was like certain rites of spiritual passage and you felt like if you hadn't had those, you had to like somehow cover it up like right, that totally. you had. Yeah. Um, and, but God's voice isn't just audible, um, and that's why it's God's many voices. Um, he doesn't just speak to us in clear words, um, even, you know, even just in our mind. And like the moments that I had, um, the story that I shared earlier about hearing his voice in my bedroom and in the library, truly, like that was just complete grace. Like there, I did not do anything to earn those. I was not super spiritual to get those. Um, and God's audible voice, you know, he, he spoke to Saul on the road who was a persecutor of Christians. It's not that, um, it's not that Saul was so godly that he could hear God's audible voice. It was that God really needed to get his attention. Um, and so God will get our attention. Um, however it makes sense and for whatever he needs to say to us. And sometimes that might be a big moment, you know, and in my case, you know, he, (laughs) he was inviting me like out of everything I knew about religion and him into a journey to discover him over again. Um, But there are many more times where I've noticed um, him in much more subtle ways in my life that just feels like a reassurance of his presence or a reassurance of his goodness. Hey, we're going to take a little break um, to tell you about a couple of our partners in ministry here at the Regeneration Podcast. First, um, our partner from day one, Western Seminary, an amazing school located in Portland, Oregon, but also campuses all over the West Coast and online campuses accessible throughout the world. Um, If you're looking for a graduate degree, gospel-centered teaching and training. Check them out at westernseminary.edu. And our other partner, which is an undergrad school, Eternity Bible College. Um, One of their goals is to give you the best absolute um, biblical, theological, missional education possible uh, at the most affordable price possible. One of their their values is to make sure you graduate debt-free. So if you are looking to um, get some training in vocational ministry or for missions work or leadership, check out Eternity Bible College at eternitybiblecollege.com. And as always, you can find all of our resources at the Regeneration Project on our website, which is just regenerationproject.org. And if you have any thoughts or questions or feedback about the podcast or anything else we're doing, you can reach us at podcast at regenerationproject.org. And now back to our conversation with Liz Diddy. 
In your own experience, when you think about the people who've come before you, and you've mentioned some of them, you know, names that we know, you know, like the Willards and the Ortbergs of the world, and um, <clears throat> but you also know people in your personal life, and you know, in your role as a spiritual director, you've accessed both the written work and teachings of people that maybe the masses in Christendom aren't necessarily familiar with. But as you think about what you've gleaned from those in your life. Um, who have exemplified this sort of openness to God's many voices. Talk to the rest of us um, about ways that we, and one of the ways is to buy your book and read it. But, <laughs> you know, talk to us about some of the maybe practical ways that we can just go about our day today as we're listening to this podcast in the car and then we're going to park and go about our day. What are some things you would say to us about, man, here's a way to be open, um, to be listening, and to be expectant, you know, that God is going to speak probably in a multitude of ways to you? What, what are some things, I don't know if they're specific practices, it's kind of a vague question, but um, what are some things that we can do, even like mindset changes, um, our posture, what, what are some things we can do to be more open to hearing God's many voices, the many ways in which he, he longs to speak to us because of a relationship. Yeah. Well, I think the, the first is um, to be patient. Mm -hmm. You know, I, one of the reasons why there's not, you know, a chapter in here about the five ways to hear God's voice, <laughs> you know, in the next 30 minutes. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> is because it's really not formulaic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are times where we might have a burning question or whatever, but, you know, like I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not like, okay, Jay, ready? I've got five <laughs> minutes before my next meeting. Yeah, Say right. something good, um, you know, and then, and then I gotta go. Um, I mean, like, no, I, I think that that's the thing is that there's, there's a certain level of patience, of love and respect that goes into approaching God, um, of just knowing that who you are and who He is. And so if we, if, we, if we understand and know that we are holy ground, that we are the meeting place between God and man, that he has words to say to us, um, and that he wants to develop that conversation with us, that he wants us to live in awareness of him, that he is constantly in awareness of us and our, and our life together then um, that's the posture that we approach it with. Yeah. And then it's less about how do I feel God or how do I sense God or how do I feel better about myself and my spirituality because I had some big aha moment or goosebumps or great time in worship. Um, and I think the, the closer that you get with God, the more comfortable that you get with God, actually the more comfortable that you, like the sign of maturity is not the big voices and the goosebumps. The sign of maturity is like comfortability with silence, yeah. you know? Um, and so um, from that posture and with that patience, just attentively expecting that he is with you and um, paying attention um, consciously trying not to numb yourself with the ways that we all numb, numb ourselves, um, cell phones, shopping, Netflix right. binges, yeah. um, but to actually be looking and paying attention um, to tell God that we know that he's here 
and that we'd love to see him. And, and we might be surprised by what gets our attention. Yeah. It's a profound thing you said a moment ago about God's awareness of us, trusting that he's always aware of us in ways that we are often not aware of him. And knowing that is what a powerful, what a powerful thing. Um, you know, folks who are listening who are parents will be, they'll, they'll recognize this, you know, when you have a child, a young child, and, you know, the parents' awareness of their child often, especially when they're like infants, you know, it's a great example, is a parent's awareness of the child is such a different level of depth and consistency than the child's awareness of the parent. And, you know, you think about your newborn waking up in the middle of the night and he or she's laying in their crib and they start crying because it's dark and it's empty and mom or dad are not in the room. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of research done on this, but just how we experience time, right? So if you have a newborn who's a week old, a minute you know, to that newborn is like this significant percentage of their human experience. Five yeah, percent of their life. Yeah, yeah. You know, you think about that. Whereas to us as adults, a minute now just mathematically is like such a minuscule. And that's such a wonderful reminder. It's like for that infant, it feels like in it this eternity of time that they're alone. And the assumption in the darkness and in the emptiness is that their loving parent is unaware of their plight in the darkness and the emptiness. And so they wail and they cry and it feels like forever. Whereas for the parent, they're right there in the room next door. They're completely aware of their child. They're, they hear the cry and they very quickly rush in, you know, and are present. But the time gap for the child, they experience the time so differently than the parent. And to trust that the same is true of our loving father who experiences and and certainly understands our experience as well, you know, through Jesus. I mean, that that's clear in the scriptures. But that what feels like an eternity to us, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, I've been praying this prayer for six years and I feel like it's just God's not speaking and where is he um, to a to an eternal God who has been before the beginning of time and will be after, you know, time as we know it ends. Man, he's so aware of us, you know, and to trust that feels like such a needed practice. And and it's such a gift to when you have those prayers that are so long open and so long outstanding and you have those things that you really want God to tell you about, that you really want his wisdom, his reassurance. Um, You just need his voice to speak into it. And even if he said no or he said, um, you know, like it's never going to happen it would just it would free us from having to stand in that tension of hope and faith yeah. and um and i have i have been so desperate for those words before sure me too and i i know what that's like but the one the thing about um the way that god speaks to us is that um so much of what he has to say is just i am with you and and 
it if we're only listening for him to speak into that particular circumstance, then we won't hear the fear nots or the I am with yous um, that are all around that that are that he is speaking into our lives. And sometimes even though what we think we need to hear um, is about this one particular topic or person or decision, really what we need to hear is that God is aware of us, that he is with us, that we don't have to be afraid. um, And, and that we can hang on, we can hold on to hope, we can hold on to faith, we can hold on to doubt, and that um, he's with us in that. um, And that we, we just are never abandoned, we're never as abandoned as we feel like we are. As we sort of conclude, Speak directly, speak pastorally to us, encourage and or challenge us. Um, For those of us who are listening to this and we're saying, Liz, I'm totally with you. I so desperately want to hear God's voice. And I read stories in the Bible like Elijah on the mountaintop and um, God rushes in and, and then like, he actually hears God whisper these very specific things to him. And I, I have friends who have had experiences like that, and I've been desperate for it, but it feels like for me I'm kneeling on that mountaintop and it's just me, and you know, no one is saying anything, and God seems uninterested. He doesn't seem to say anything to me. Um, I think that's such a common experience. You've already addressed it in some ways, but speak directly to those who are listening who would say, man, that's me. I'm desperate for this, Liz, but I've never experienced it and I'm starting to lose some hope. Um, yeah. Talk, talk to those of us who, who are maybe feeling that way. Yeah. Well, I love that you bring up first Kings 19 and the story of Elijah on the mountaintop. Cause we think of it as a story of Elijah hearing God's voice in this beautiful direct way. Um, but actually Elijah was the one kneeling on that mountaintop in a cave feeling completely abandoned um, and felt like he had done exactly what God had told him to do. It had not worked out for him the way that he thought. And he um, had really expected God to show up in a really different way. And um, and so that that's actually exactly where we find Elijah on that mountaintop. Um, and God's first words to him were not a whisper. Um, God asked him directly, you know, what, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and Elijah sort of launches into, um, well, here's the problem, God. And God invites him to stand in his presence. He says, wait here while I pass by. And it says first there is an earthquake, and then there is a fire, and then there is a mighty rushing wind. But And after each one, very lyrically and poetically, it says, but he was not in the earthquake, but he was not in the fire, but he was not in the wind. And then God's voice came to Elijah in a still, small voice, or what we translate as a whisper. And God does whisper to us in beautiful ways, but I think there's something in this story that is actually far more powerful than that, in that if you were to say, or the first people who read this story to tell them, but God was not in the earthquake, 
but God was not in the fire, but God was not in the wind. There are multiple times in the Old Testament where that's exactly how God appears. Yeah, He's in the earthquake. Right. He's in the fire. He's in the wind. Um, in the wilderness, Isaiah talks about that in the Psalms. Um, actually, those three are often um, uh, not coupled together, tripled together. Mm-hmm. Um, the earthquake, the fire, and the wind. That's how people expected God to reveal himself. Yeah. And so in this case, um, Elijah is kneeling on that mountain, desperate, um, feeling abandoned, and God invites him into his presence. But he invites him to stand in his presence and realize that he's not always going to show up the way that you expect him to show up. He's just not always going to be in the earthquake or the big fire or mighty wind he will sometimes be in the almost imperceptible stillness that follows. And it will be exactly how we need him to be here. Like he will, he will be exactly how we need to, um, to experience him. He will be exactly, he will say exactly what we need to hear, but it's not always going to look like or feel like what we think it's supposed to. And the most important thing is that as we're as we're kneeling there, we realize there is a standing invitation through the Holy Spirit to stand in the presence of God, to be invited into the presence of God. And we are all invited there. And it may not feel like and it may not look like what we expect it to, but God will meet us there if we're if we're listening and if we're expecting him to be there, we will find him. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, Liz, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find your work, get connected to you, um, get in touch with you, tell, tell people where, where they can find you? Yeah, probably the easiest place is lizditty.com, L-I-Z-D-I-T-T-Y.com. Um, I've got all my social media stuff, all my book stuff, all my speaking stuff is all kind of in one place there. Um, so that's probably the easiest place to find me. Cool. Um, yeah, that will be in links to all your webpage and social media stuff. We'll put all of that on the show notes. So, um, and when does the book come out? It comes out August 21st. Yeah. So God's many voices by Liz Diddy go online, check that out, order yourself a copy. Um, you won't regret it. It'll be really helpful. Liz, thank you so much. It's really fun. Feels like old times <laughs> getting the gang back together. Thank you, Jake.